How do you feel when you get a letter from someone that you really care about and that you know really cares about you? Now, I guess I might ought to say, how do you feel when you get an email from somebody that you care about or really cares about you in our day? Because the, lo- the art of letter writing has somewhat been lost, I think, on our generation and probably not for our betterment. But, but think about that for a moment. I remember when I was a, a freshman in college at the University of Alabama, I had a ritual every day that I always went through. It never failed. You see, I was a year older than my girlfriend, and she was still in high school, and, and uh, so I didn't see her every day like I did the year before when we were both still in high school. So every day, I would rise to get ready to go to an 8 o'clock class, and I would go immediately to the commons building where the post office was, and I would open my mailbox to see if by some chance, and normally I did, uh, if there was a letter there from Retta. And I would read that letter on the way to class, and it kind of got me ready. I, it made me feel good. It was always encouraging. It was, it was always intimate. It was always something special that I, was enjo- I always enjoyed getting. There were very few days during that year that I didn't get a, a letter from her. Well, in a real sense of the word, what we have here beginning in chapter 13 of John's gospel is some of the most intimate words that Jesus ever spoke. They are, they're not in letter form in the same sense that, that uh, say, Paul's letters were written or Peter's letters were written, but there's an intimate dialogue and there's an intimate monologue that's taking place here with Jesus and his disciples. Now, it's not just for those 12 and ultimately 11 that were there with him in this particular time, because later in this section of the book, in, in chapter 17, Jesus is going to expand his prayer greatly, and I think by virtue of expanding his prayer in John 17, he expands it to the entire section from from chapter 13 through chapter 17, where where Jesus says, "I, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that is, these who are right here with me right now, but I also... I also ask on behalf of those who believe in me through their word. And so what Jesus is saying there is, listen, I'm I'm talking to these disciples. I'm praying for these apostles, these that are here with me. But Father, I want you to know I'm not just asking for them. I'm not just giving this intimate information for them alone, but also for those who will believe on me because of their testimony. Do you realize that you believe on Jesus Christ because of the testimony of men like Peter, and John, Andrew, and ultimately the Apostle Paul. Those who are, there's a chain that stretches back in eternity past by virtue of the message of the gospel, whereby we are connected with those who were there with him in those last days of his life, who walked with him throughout his ministry. And the intimate words that Jesus is speaking to them right now are words that he speaks to you and me also. During these next few chapters, you're going to hear Jesus talking about things that are important for you to understand if you're a believer living in the 21st century. As far removed from first century Palestine. We're far removed culturally and and in many ways from that particular time. But I want you to understand that the words that Jesus spoke to those disciples, talking to them, preparing them for what was about to come, are just as significant to you and me today 
as they were then. They are intimate. They are unique. And they are vitally important if we're going to walk with Christ in the 21st century. Hear what he says in these first 20 verses of John's gospel in the 13th chapter. He said, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you hear that intimacy there? Do you hear that, you hear that care and that love? Now John's not denying, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's not denying God's love for the whole world, Jesus' love for the whole world in a very general sense. But here he's saying there is a special love that Christ has for those who are his. Just as, as I would say to you this morning, I love you. I, I love every person that's in this building. I, I love every member of Grace Baptist Church. But I want you to know, as much as I love you, I love Retta a whole lot more and a whole lot differently. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that, that I love the world. Yes, there's a, there's a general love for all my creation, but there is a special love. There is a unique love for those who are mine in the world. And Jesus says, I'm going to love them to the end. During supper, and I had Ricky read Luke's account of, of the supper a minute ago because John gives us a whole different picture of it. They're not contradictory, they're just different There are different aspects. John is writing again in this this very intimate, very personal way. He said, during supper, the devil already having put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that is, all authority is given to me, Jesus understood, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from supper He laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Now, it's almost impossible, I know, to put ourselves in those disciples' place right now. I've already spoken last week about how they were shocked that all these miracles had been done, all this fabulous teaching had been done, and there were still all those people that didn't believe in him. They were confused by that. But let me tell you something. Their confusion went on steroids when they saw him doing this. They were really confused. Verse 5. Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Understand, this was a lowly act. This was the duty of a slave, not of a king, not of a lord, not of one whom they really believed in. This is the act of a slave of the lowest order. And Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. You'll understand in proper time. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. I love Peter. He always thinks he knows what's best. He reminds me a lot of you. Reminds me a lot of myself. Always saying things when we ought to be listening. Always speaking when we ought to be listening. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. 
So Simon Peter said to him, Then, Lord, wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him, and for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, and taken his garments, and reclined at table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher. You call me Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If then I, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought to, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. Always listen carefully when he says truly, truly. Amen, amen. Verily, verily in King James. I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed, happy, joyful if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Now I want you to see again the struggle that those disciples must be having as Jesus acts out a parable before them. Now in verses 1, or really verses 5 through verse 11, you have the act itself. You have him taking off his garments, wrapping himself with a towel, and going and pouring water in a basin, and beginning to wash the feet of his disciples. Understand, that is a very menial task. There is a very demeaning task. That is a very humiliating task, and, and only done by the lowest of slaves. And yet Jesus lowers him. Jesus, who is Lord and King and God of all creation, lowers himself and begins washing the disciples' feet. Gets to Peter. Peter says, Lord, you're not, you're not going to wash my feet. Why, I, I ought to be washing your feet. Or, I, or Really, I don't think Peter thought he should either. Peter probably thought, we ought to call somebody in here to do this, Lord. It's not your place to wash our feet. You're not a slave. You're not a servant. You're not a, a lowly one. But Jesus wants him to understand something. He said in other places in the gospel, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I didn't come to, to demand allegiance. I came to serve and to save. I came to redeem a people for myself. And he said, this is just an act of what I want you to see must come about if you're going to be my disciple. As a matter of fact, what he's saying here is, this is how a disciple of mine ought to live. Now, I'm not going to go into all the contrasts that you might take in our world today 
uh, coming out of churches and pulpits and everything else, and, and I hope not out of this pulpit. But, but, you know, men that are exalting themselves, men that are lording it over hundreds and thousands at times, men who are saying, I am here to be served by you, rather than to say, I'm one of you who is to serve one another. Jesus is saying here, listen, if you want to be my disciple, then you must humble yourself. If you want to be my disciple, your life will be a life of humility and service and ministry to one another. It's amazing in verses 5 through 12, uh, 5 through 11, he does that. He shows them that. And he shows them that what he's doing is something that is necessary symbolically, parabolically to understand what the Christian life is all about. But then in verses 12 through 20, he explains it. Again, hear the intimacy here. Hear hear the, the clarity with which he speaks to them when he says this. He says, you know, he asks them a question, do you know what I've done to you? The implied rhetorical answer to that is, not really, Lord. Not really. We, we've seen what you've done, and you, you've acted like a slave, a servant. You, you've washed our feet, which are considered a, a, a very unholy, dirty part of the body. Do you remember when Saddam Hussein fell, and, uh, and, and all the people rushed out to that big, tall statue of him? What, what did they fling up there and put on the statue? Shoes. Because that represented the feet. That was the highest insult. Feet are dirty. Feet are unholy. Or when our president was speaking one time and a, 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 a reporter, one of the Arab lands, reached down, pulled off his shoe and threw it at him. That was an insult. Because that shoe had been on the foot and the feet are low and dirty and unholy. And here's the Holy Son of God. God incarnate. God in flesh, the creator of everything that there is, the creator of you and, and the creator of me and the one, the one who rules and sustains us and, and redeems us. Here is the God of all creation, all the universe, and he stoops down and washes those men's dirty, stinking, dusty, unholy feet. And then he says, you understand what I've done? And they don't respond, evidently. So he tells them. He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right, for that's who I am. I'm your rabbi, I'm your teacher, I am Lord. I am, I am God in the flesh, literally. You're right. But if I then... The Lord and the teacher washed your feet. You ought to do it also to one another. Now, there are some groups that say, okay, now what we have here is a new ordinance. It's a foot washing ordinance. You, you know people who are in churches that say, well, Jesus said what I did, you ought to do. And, and so they wash feet on a peri- periodic basis. Now, understand this. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with doing that. Matter of fact, it might be a, an act, if it's, if it's sincere, that's a humbling act and a, and a demonstrating act of who we are. But I don't think Jesus is setting up another ordinance here. 
it's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. It's not talked about Paul when Paul says, here is what you're to do as far as the Lord's Supper goes. He said, this is what the Lord commanded me to tell you and to teach you. And so Paul laid out the Lord's Supper, that that last supper, and, and the body and the blood, the bread and the wine. And he said, this is what you're to do until I come and do this in remembrance of me until I come again. But he didn't say, and by the way, while you're taking the bread and the wine, you're also to wash one another's feet. He didn't say that. So there's every indication that Jesus was not setting up another ordinance. But Jesus was saying, what this represents is what is to characterize and represent your life. Among the body. Among your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're to minister to one another. You're to humble yourselves before one another. You're to care for one another. He, he said, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, and, and nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now understand, he's getting them ready. This is in many ways analogous to the Great Commission in, in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the earth. In essence, John is saying the same thing here that Jesus says there. He's saying, listen, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, all authority, all power, everything belonged to Jesus. And then he says, I want you to understand that the one who is sent is not greater than the one who sent him. And I am in the process, in these next four or five chapters, I'm in the process of preparing you to be sent. And you being sent does not make you greater than me who sends you. My message is to be your message. My life is to be your life. I'm going to, he's going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14 that will just, if you know the Lord, will just blow your mind at the presence of Christ within every believer. But he says, I want you to understand I'm the Lord, you're my servants. He'll later call us friends and other things, but, but we're his servants. Paul says, I'm a doulos, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And he said, I want you to understand, the, the, the servant is not greater than the master. The slave is not greater than the master. And the one who is sent is not greater than the one who sends him. And Jesus says, I'm sending you. You're about to be sent into the world. And if you know these things... You are blessed, you're joyful, you're happy if you do them. The word blessed there is the same word that, uh, that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, etc., etc. It's the same word. And it's talking about a deep and abiding joy will be a part of your life. And we're going to find, as he talks about this in these next chapters, that joy is one of the great themes, that his joy is going to be made full in you. His joy is going to be a part of your life if you're in him. It's not a giddiness. It's not a a happiness like we sometimes think happiness has to be determined by circumstances, but it's a deep and abiding joy that changes your life. And he says, you know, I've given you this example, and if you know these things with your head... If you hear my teaching, if you see what I'm saying, hear what I'm saying, that's good. But that's not enough. 
what I've taught you, what you know you're to do. When I said I served you, you are to serve one another. And I want you to understand, he says, that that's your calling. That's why we talk about in the church that the church was never meant to be, in one essence, what we've let it become. I come on Sunday morning, sit through an hour of worship, sermon, prayers, singing, all those elements. And I sit in my seat, and I rise up from my seat when it's time to go home, and I go out those doors, and I basically say, I'll see you again next week. I don't see that in this passage. I see mutual ministry. I see mutual servanthood. I see see giving of oneself to to minister to those who are part of our body, who are part of our fellow disciples. I, I see an example here where Jesus said, I'm doing the most menial task to minister to you, and now you're to take that and do the same thing. You're to be involved in one another's lives as a part of the body of Christ. You don't have to ask, what's it going to cost me? You don't have to ask, is it going to be an inconvenience to me? Let me tell you something, folks. What Jesus is about to go through is a, is a massive inconvenience. Worse than that. And he didn't say you're to, you're, you're to minister, you're to be involved, you're to, you're to care for one another if it's not too much of an inconvenience. But he said, I, I'm leaving you an example. It's, only, it's really the only time Jesus says I, I, outright that I recall in Scripture I'm, I'm leaving this, I'm, I'm giving you this example that if you know me, if I abide in you and you abide in me, you'll follow this. Not in your own strength, not in your own power, but I will indwell you and you'll, you'll do this for one another. You'll minister to one another. That, that's why if you look on your order of worship, don't do it now, but do it after church, you'll see Phil Haynes and Scott Gilbert and Todd Meadows and Ricky Teal listed as pastors, not ministers. Because we're not the only ministers here, folks. The Scripture makes clear that the body of Christ are all, if you're in Christ, you are called to ministry and you are a minister of the gospel and you are a minister to one another. And that's what Jesus is showing here. He said, look, I'm about to lay on you some heavy stuff. But I want you to realize there's a mutuality here. There's a mutual involvement. There's a mutual caring. There's an example that I'm giving by washing your dirty, stinking feet that you're to follow. Won't be easy. Won't be convenient many times. It won't be, won't be pleasant sometimes. You're to follow it. He said, I want you to know I've loved you. And I will love you. I will continue that. I'll love you to the end. But from now, from now on, verse 19, I'm telling you, before it comes to pass, so that 
when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. These next chapters, these next verses, everything is going to be Jesus telling those who are with Him what's about to happen. Even the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, He's going to talk about that coming and that abiding. And He's going to say, I want, you, I want to tell you this in advance so that when it happens, you won't be, you won't be, you won't be stunned. You'll, you'll be amazed, but you'll know that I've told you the truth. And truly I say to you that he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He's saying, listen, I'm sending you. I'm sending you into Somerset, Kentucky. I'm sending you into Pulaski County. He sent some of us this week down into the Chankai River Valley in, in, in Peru, up in the mountains of Peru. But what he's saying is, I'm sending you, and those who receive you, in other words, hear what you have to say. Believe your message. Those are receiving me. And those who receive me are acknowledging that I am, have been sent from the Father. So if they receive your message, they're receiving you, they're receiving me, and they're receiving the Father. They are indeed redeemed. He said, now, even among my twelve here, there's one who's not clean. says, so I, I know that if, if, you, if I wash you and you're bathed, you're clean, verse 10, but not all of you. He was talking about the one who was betraying him, Judas Iscariot. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. That's analogous to what he said back again in chapter 3 of this gospel that in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to see the reality of Christ, in order to see the, the truth of the living Christ, you must be born again. Clean here is the same thing as being born again, being born to newness of life in Christ Jesus. And Basically, he's saying, you know, if, if, you, if you're not clean, if you're not washed, if you're not born again, then, then you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. You're not going to understand washing somebody's feet symbolically. You're not going to understand serving one another. You're not going to understand caring for one another. But if you are, then you will. If you are, you will know that he has called us to a lowly ministry. He's called us to be a part of a body that cares about one another, that loves one another. Now, here's a fact. You can't care about somebody and love somebody if you don't know them. Jesus said, I have loved you. I have loved my own. And he loved them to the end. If we're going to love one another, we've got to know one another. We've got to be involved in one another's lives. It's got to be more than just seeing one another on Sunday morning and saying, Hey, how you doing? Fine. Good. That's it. You know, you've heard me say before, when you ask that on Sunday morning, you really don't anticipate anything more than fine. Hey, how you doing? Oh, man, it's been a horrible week. You don't want to hear that. 
Come here. Oh, I'm fine. Well, good. Me too. Liar, liar, pants on, or whatever. You know, you've got to be involved. You've got to be open. You've got to be transparent. You've got to be honest with one another. And you've got to only not be willing to serve, but you've got to be willing to be served. Not only willing to minister to, but be willing to be ministered to. It's a, it's, a, it's a pride buster to be ministered to. I had to kill me those first two weeks after my surgery. My wife had to do everything for me. I, I sat in a recliner, slept in a recliner, lived in a recliner for those two weeks and many weeks after that. And it killed me that I couldn't do the simple thing of reaching down and flipping down the footrest. And I had to say, now later I learned to crawl out of it so I could not have to ask this. But I say, honey, can you come let me down? I got to get up for a minute. She would come and let it down, and it just felt so helpless. It was a very humiliating, very humbling thing. Pride says, I don't need anybody else. I don't need you ministering to me. I can do it myself. Jesus is very gently, it's going to get a little less gentle a little later on, but it's right here very gently saying, minister and be ministered to. Care and be cared for. Do you know what I've just done? Do you know what I've done to you? Here it is. Now go do it for one another. Let's pray. Father, sometimes even with one another, we're like Peter was with Jesus. No, you can't minister to me. No, I don't need your help. But in reality, we do. Many times, Lord, we're even that way with you. Lord, I can handle this. I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough, I'm, I can handle this. Well, really not. Father, the thing Jesus is teaching us here more than anything else is to humble yourselves, humble ourselves before you and before one another. So like the Apostle Paul said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think to the Roman Christians. Father, help us to see ourselves in the right perspective, in right relationship with you.
You are our teacher. You are our Lord. Change us. Use us for your glory. Father, I'm thankful for that love. That love that is steadfast from Christ and will be there to the end. Lord, help us love each other like that. Help us submit to each other and humble ourselves with each other like that. And help us show forth the reality of Christ in our lives and in our church. We pray in Jesus' name.